Hi, Emmaus. Welcome back to the Proclaim and Display podcast, episode 21, where we help you show and tell the gospel to your neighbors and the nations. Back in the studio today with Jaron and Kennedy. Hello. What's up, What's up guys? Kennedy? You doing all right? <laughs> Yeah, two in, a, two in a row, you, Kennedy. Yeah, <laughs> two in a row. This is good for you. So, uh, um, and I'm about to, uh, you know, I'm about to drop out for a few weeks here. So, hey, come on, you guys can do whatever you. Don't let them know that you're going to be disappearing. No, no, no. Like, yeah. this is gonna, this we're is not going to have any listeners. This will help month. the number of people listening. So, because uh, they want to know what you guys are going to do. You guys, you guys have a plan for the next the next we'll month. See, I know. We'll laid, see about that. Laid we out, hope we so. have a plan. No. <laughs> no, I guarantee we you have a plan. plan. You sh- you show me the plan. It's good. We'll see. And see you in June for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Please keep listening. So, uh, so for part of my uh, part of my time away, I'm driving south to to Houston to hang out with some pastors and spend some time down there. So I'll take uh, you know, 35 and I 45 all the way down to Houston. But when we lived in New Orleans uh, and also in Mississippi for a time, and we were coming back to Oklahoma, up. You know, I-49 there through uh, through Louisiana, through Alexandria, up to Shreveport, go west on I-20 over toward the Metroplex, and then we would always take 635 mm-hmm. up, you know, northeast, up around the northeast side of the Metroplex. There's an intersection there that has impacted our lives dramatically two different times, same exact intersection that we've gotten these messages at. Um, so, number one... We were going through there one Christmas, specifically the Christmas of 2011, and we got a phone call at this intersection that our adoption had moved forward and the little oh. girl that we were going to adopt had been born. So radically changed our lives. Oh, cool. We drove to the Red River, dropped our older two kids off, went back down and and uh, went through with the adoption. So then fast forward, uh, you know, three and a half years from there, it's the uh, summer of 2015 and we're just making our way back to Oklahoma to see uh, to see family. We're driving past this intersection. Amanda's driving. I look down at my phone. I get a message, and there's an email from a gentleman named Kenny Mossman uh, at this at this Whoa. intersection. So uh, now we, we should probably just go ahead and tell people Kenny Mossman is sitting with us at this moment. <laughs> Kenny, what's up, man? I'm <laughs> so, good. How are you? <laughs> do, you, do you remember sending that email uh-huh. in the summer of – 2015. I do. So. I, I wasn't sure if it, it, it was an email or a text message, but I remember the contact. Yeah, it, it may have been a text message that said, "Hey, check your email." Uh, very well, could have been. Uh, <laughs> but we opened that up and we're like, "Emmaus Baptist Church." I think that sounds familiar. But I, we, did you pronounce it right? I don't know. I probably said Emmaus Baptist Church. <laughs> like people do, normally do. So Emmaus. You know. So uh, yeah. So we we drive to Oklahoma and think, "Hey, we're." We're here. We might as well drive by and see where this this church is. And so, one thing led to another. Um, now, the backstory on that, Kenny, is was it James Swain mm-hmm. that gave my name to Jim Lehu? That it was. Did, is that how that works? Yeah, we we had actually uh, reached a point in the search where we were going to pause. Um, we had worked through the resumes that we had and didn't have the full agreement of the committee. So, uh, actually, it was Alan Quigley who from the Baptist office who recommended us that we just tap the brakes and get away from it for a week or so and just clear our minds, pray about it and see where, where it led. And so that's what we had decided to do. And it was within probably 48 hours of that decision and maybe sooner that uh, Jim called me, Jim Lehu, and said, James Swain has a name for you. And I, I actually said, well, we're not, we're not going to take any names right now. We're, we're taking a pause. And um, I don't remember if I said it on that call or if I called him back, but I, curiosity killed the cat. And I said, <laughs> okay, I got to know. And um, 
And so I think almost immediately, I mean, I just violated all of the decisions we had made. <laughs> and, uh, and I contacted you, and if, if memory serves me correctly, I, th- I think we ate dinner like the next night or the night after that. Yeah, it, it was. Normandy. Yeah, it was within a couple of days. And yeah. normally we wouldn't have done that, but I, we, we felt like you were from so far away and you were in town, so we thought, well, it would be silly for us to waste this opportunity. And so we ate dinner at the Olive Garden down in Absolutely. Norman. I, yeah. Like it was kind of remember like it was yesterday. The same here, yeah. And, and the thing that was really neat about it for us was, um, whereas we'd gone through a period of time where we just, couldn't come to agreement on a candidate. Uh, I remember walking out on the front step and you and Amanda had kind of walked away from us and I intentionally hung back because our committee was hovering around the entrance of the restaurant and we had agreement almost immediately. And um, so uh, we actually made a follow-up trip down uh, to your church yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, for really looking for confirmation. But, uh, oh, That's yeah, I remember it, that all, it's hard to believe so much time has passed. Yeah, I was going to say, you could tell me it was yesterday or, or 20 <laughs> years ago, and I would probably That's think cool the same story. thing. So, and, and, and just one of, like, uh, a moment of how God works in his kingdom and all these things coming together, James Swain, who <laughs> put my name into this whole thing, is now leading, you know, uh, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. Right. And his HR director just happens to be Jim Lee <laughs> yeah. in the middle of this. So, exactly. uh, small yeah, world. It's a, a small world. Yeah, Baptist world is a small world at times, but it, it's fun to see how the Lord uh, works in all those ways. Mm-hmm. So, Kenny, we are we're excited to have you back at Emmaus uh, tonight to share with our adults and and, and ha- hang out with us. And so, we want to catch people up on, sure. on what you guys are up to. For people that don't know you, though, people that have been to Emmaus recently or connecting with us through the podcast. Tell them about God's work in your life. So back up as far as you want, back up to childhood, back up to those teenagers, <laughs> whatever that looks like. Give us the story of God's work in your life. Kenny. Sure. Well, I uh, um, I wasn't saved until uh, much later than a lot of people. I was in my early 30s when I was saved, and it was uh, when I'd already started my career working in Division One athletics. I started at Kansas State, and uh, then I, I was there for eight years, and then I went to Illinois State for 10, and then... Um, to OU for 20 years, and, and the end of, of my athletics career was uh, came in January or fe- early February of, of 2022, um, and that was when uh, my career path changed pretty dramatically. Yeah. Uh, I had had lunch with Hans Dilbeck, who at the time was leading the Oklahoma Baptists, and uh, kind of just out of the blue, he asked me if I had ever thought that maybe God was calling me to ministry. And I admitted to him that I thought I had had that thought before, but had never really acted on it. And and he gave me very wise counsel. He said, uh, "Go back and confirm it with your pastor." And uh, I always really appreciated that about Hans. He he was just kind of a sidebar, but he wasn't trying to step in and and be my pastor. He right. was making an observation, and then he I thought showed great wisdom in sending me back to the people who knew me better. And uh, you and I had a conversation, and you you affirmed me in that, and so we. Uh, we went through the ordination process, and um, I remember Mike Keybone, who's the pastor at First Lawton. He's been a friend for quite a while, and and he said, once you're ordained, you won't have any trouble getting pulpits because he said, first of all, you've got the OU thing, which I was still working at OU at right. that time uh, in the athletic department. And then, uh, and he said, plus there's just so many little churches that are vacant in terms yeah. of the pastoral position. So I continued as a senior associate athletic director at OU, and... Um, uh, busy job, lots of hours. And then in the meantime, I was also preaching quite a, I mean, almost nonstop, 
I, I preached from Cleveland in the northeast part of the state. Not Ohio, Oklahoma. No, right, yeah. Cleveland, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, all the way out to Frederick, Oklahoma, which yeah. is about as far southwest as you yeah. can get. Yeah. Uh, and then a church in Carnegie, Oklahoma, asked me to come preach there a little bit, and I did. And after a period of time, they asked me if I would be their interim. I told them that I would with the understanding that I am never coming here on a full-time basis. So if you want somebody that you can kind of groom for the position, I'm not your guy. And uh, so for the next 14 months, uh, I was the interim pastor there. Um, And as that happened, uh, slowly, my wife and I, Amy, we both started feeling like God was starting to pull us to Carnegie. Hmm. And uh, strange as it is, uh, I I took a retirement from OU, submitted my name at uh, Carnegie for consideration, uh, they voted on us, uh, called us to be their pastor, and I went from working in pretty high-level college athletics in a vibrant university town that's on the cusp of a major metropolitan area uh, to a town of 1,500 people uh, that is 25 miles from a Walmart. <laughs> um, it couldn't be more different, yeah. and uh, yet uh, well, we couldn't possibly be more happy. Oh, I love so that. it's, it's worked out. Just I love that. Beautifully. Now, you mentioned coming to faith in Christ in your 30s. Mm-hmm. What's the story of, of your testimony of salvation? Uh, yeah. how, did, how did God work uh, to lead you to that point? Well, I, I, uh, there were probably a lot of people who would have thought I was saved already. Um, and uh, that was intentional on my part. I was trying to play that role. Mm-hmm. But I think I knew uh, inside, in fact, I know I did, that I, I had never really confessed Christ. Uh, but uh, I was in a situation at Kansas State. I mentioned that I worked there, and uh, it really had a very successful time there. But near the end of it, um, there was a really kind of a strange political environment on campus, and I got kind of uh, viewed as being on one side of it. And because of that, uh, I got called into an office one day, and the, uh, the president of the university had uh, made it known that he'd think it'd be better if I worked somewhere else. Uh, that happened in, uh, in 1991. In the spring of 1990, I had gotten a call very randomly from the commission of the Missouri Valley Conference asking me if I would consider working at Illinois State. Hmm. And I, very, I, I was cordial to him, but inside I was very piously thinking to myself, who in the world do you think you are? Because <laughs> Illinois State is not on the same level as Kansas State. <laughs> And uh, so I go through this next year, and then we have the episode where it's clear that they're, they're going to move me out. And, um, and I remember going home that night, and uh, I had never felt like I was at an end of a rope like I did then. We were pregnant with our second uh, son, and um, I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that. And I was crushed. And so I just uh, uh, got by, down on my knees. I was by myself that night. I don't remember how that happened, but I was... I just got out of my knees and I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to fake it anymore. Um, this is real and uh, I, I have nowhere to turn and uh, I'm crushed in spirit. I'm, I'm crushed professionally. Everything about me is helpless, hopeless right now and I, I need you. And, um, and there was a marked change in me immediately. I always tell people, you know, don't, don't think that there, were, uh, there was an angel choir all of a sudden in my living room. It was nothing like that. But, but there was a very specific uh, change in me. And um, so after that happened, within the next week or so, I was uh, searching the, the job market because I had to find a new job. And this is one year after the initial call from Illinois State. I look in the, 
in the wanted ads in the uh, college athletic trade magazine and there was one job open that I was qualified for, and it was at Illinois State. <laughs> the guy who had gotten the job the pre- previous year stayed one year and left. And um, they had already interviewed candidates to replace him, and I was able to kind of horn my way in on an interview. And uh, next thing you know, I got uh, I got hired there. Uh, the The irony of it, I think God has a little bit of a sense of humor. I actually was paid a higher salary there than the one that oh, I wow. had yeah. left. But I always tell people um, that I love that story, and it's it's absolutely true, 100%. Um, but I used to tell that story and kind of stop there. And, and it, if you do that, it really almost just sounds like the prosperity gospel. Hmm. And I always tell people that what happened to me that night uh, when I was saved wasn't that God teed me up for a new job. It was that he rescued me from the domain of darkness oh, wow. and transferred yeah. me to the kingdom of his beloved son yeah. in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Yeah. That's what occurred. Yeah, I, The job was simply a blessing. And I think it also was a, uh, God telling me how he understood how frail I was uh, because he didn't allow much time to elapse there. And I've always been so thankful for that. And I know that's not everybody's story. Uh, when I moved up there to Illinois, we loved it. Uh, it was great. Um, I met a guy named Jerry McCorkle, who is an unknown by most people. And I didn't know what Jerry was doing. He was the youth pastor at an at a independent Baptist church. And I, what I realized many years later was Jerry was discipling me. Hmm. And uh, he, he did me a huge favor because when he started discipling me, he immediately put in front of me books by Spurgeon and um, Sproul and A.W. Pink and, you know, pretty deep thinking theologians. And he immediately set me on a track of what I would call fairly intense study, yeah. more so than most people would start out yeah. with. And I just, as I look back at that and I see where I am today, I, I can barely talk about Jerry without getting a little choked up because I see what God was doing there. He, he put Jerry in my path, t- knowing that I would never go to seminary, but as best he could train me up for what was going to come 30 years later. Yeah. And, um, I love that part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, every now and again, I'll just text Jerry randomly and just say, brother, I haven't told you for a while, but I I can't thank you enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, now I'm, uh, you know, I kind of was a known figure in OU circles, wrote a book about the history of OU football. Fans knew who I was, did some radio and TV, and and uh, time marches on. I could go back there now and not be recognized. And I live in a in a small little town where a third of the people live below the poverty line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our existence is so much different now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's a uh, you know it's it's been a strange twist, but a great one. I think about that line in scripture where there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. You know, <laughs> right. time, time goes on. Like people people come up, life moves on, and so and true. we're a uh, you know, we, we were talking Sunday morning about Joshua 1. After Moses died, God's plans didn't end. No. Like they, Moses was a servant of the Lord. Yeah. Um, it, was all, it was all moving forward. And you so, know, it's a little sobering, too, because you do think, well, I'm kind of the one person that they're all going to remember. And, uh, and you, you quickly find out that um, you may have overvalued yourself yeah. a little bit. And yeah. uh, it, that's been a, actually a really good lesson for me to learn because what it's done is it's even, I think, further dedicated me to the work of the Lord yeah. and invest in eternal things rather than the things of, of this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think about that on ministry where these, these ideas of, you know, an employer is going to find a new employee. Like mm-hmm. those, those things move on. Um, 
your dedication though to your wife and your kids like they're not gonna they need you right. in, in that role and so I think that that those qualifications for an elder in scripture are you've got to be dedicated there at home because mm-hmm. you know you you can move on in other areas but but that's where you've got to be dedicated. That's true. So Absolutely. yeah, you've seen the Lord do good things there. So what are you learning at Carnegie? What's what's God put in front of you? What are you learning right now? I learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I intentionally through the years uh, befriended a lot of pastors. Um, I there probably weren't very many lay people in Oklahoma that knew more pastors than I did, and I I did that on purpose. I just enjoyed hanging with pastors. But now I I also see that I think that's something that God was doing. But but that kind of prepared me to not go in with rose colored glasses. Um, uh, it's a blessing doing what I what I do, and I know there's gonna there are gonna come some days where I'm gonna probably wish that I was doing something else <laughs> yeah, on that. Yeah, day. yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think the thing that I've I actually told this to our church last Sunday. I was preaching through John three three, and that's such a, a linchpin piece of scripture about heaven and hell. And uh, and I told him the thing that I didn't anticipate was the ownership I feel of them in the responsibility that has been given to me to shepherd them. Mm-hmm. Not that I think they're mine. I know they're sure. God's. Yeah. But for this period of time, he has put me over them to speak to them. And um, I had been away for a week uh, preaching a revival up in Kansas. And that Sunday morning, I had a hole in my heart because I wasn't with my people. Yeah. And, and when I got back, I just shared with them that it was really hard to be away from them. And then I, I further shared with them that it's really hard to preach the gospel every week and know there are people sitting in our church who are unsaved. And I, I hate to admit my callousness on this, but there was probably a time where I would have just thought to myself, oh, well, they just don't get it. Hmm. I don't look at it like that anymore. Now I feel like uh, there's an urgency. You don't understand what risk you're at by by not following Christ, and it's it's much more of a burden on me personally than it ever was before. So I, I think you know those are probably uh, the the biggest lessons I've learned. But there's been a lot of little oh, things yeah, along the yeah. way. I think about Paul in Second Corinthians, where he's listing all these all these beatings that he's been through, and shipwrecks that he's been through, and illnesses he's been through, and then he gets to the end and. There's the daily burden of the churches. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. all these things I've been through, and what really weighs on me most heavy is just just my burden mm-hmm. for the churches and yeah. the, and the weight we carry and how much we love people and want to see them grow in faith and yeah. turn to Christ. And so, yeah, beat me up, shipwreck me, yeah. you know, whatever. What really weighs on my heart is just just a burden for the church. Yeah, and so. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, um, yeah. but I I like it. Yeah, it makes yeah. me feel a lot more pastoral. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I just wish I could solve it all. Oh yeah, um, yeah. We, we want to be the Savior when we're just yeah, a servant. That's right. It's, man, it's so hard. Yeah. Well, and you, I'll, I'll yeah, speak to in. that point. Yeah. I Just to encourage you, Kenny, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how long you were at Emmaus. I don't know, when did you first Well, uh, I was with you for 20 years, so probably 18 or 19 years at yeah. Emmaus. Um, and so, you know, I was a young pastor. Uh, <laughs> God bless me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking I'm changing the world and, you know, all of these uh, – High lofty thoughts of myself, but uh, uh, and then at the same time, you know, other side of the coin is like, God, am I ever going to get my act together? I'm ever, and this guy was just such an encourager to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every sermon I struggled through, uh, and just even in some of my dark moments, Kenny was a guy who cared for me, mm. and uh, that was a unique place for me as a pastor, like knowing how how do I receive care? Mm. How do 
how do I have conversations to find help? I'm supposed to be the one that's shepherding and helping. And, and Kenny was always a guy who would go grab lunch with me or send me a text message randomly and just was just always consistent and faithful to encourage me. And that always meant the world to me. And so it, and I also knew Kenny when uh, I was like, why aren't you teaching a Sunday school class? Yeah. And him being so resistant and like, what are you talking about? Who, me? Just like, there's no way. There's a million years I would never do that. Yeah. yeah. And just to, just to see how God has continued to do the work in you that I saw you doing for me well, years for ago. That. And it, that means a lot to me. And I, you're, you're one of my favorites. Well, I love you, brother. And yes, likewise, Jaron. It um, means a lot to me. I don't know if you remember how I broke through that glass ceiling or not, but I started. And this is actually very instructive, I think, for a lot of people. And I would say this in my church, too. The very first Sunday school class I taught here was fifth grade, fifth grade Sunday school. There you school. go, yeah. And I uh, heard Erwin Ir- Lutzer say one time uh, that anytime somebody asked them how they could impact the world for Christ, mm-hmm. his response is always volunteer in children's ministry. <laughs> there you and go. now that I'm a, a pastor, I would say amen in <laughs> all caps. That's right, yes. <laughs> yes, no, that's so good. I love that. Uh, I think there's a famous story of uh, John Piper going through seminary and he said the most important thing he did was teach eighth grade boys Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Like that was like every week just having, he wanted to be pastor and he wanted to be doing all these things. But the most important thing was showing up every week for eighth grade boys Sunday school. Yeah. And just, uh, I think about so my grandpa, I think about so many people that mean so much to me. Uh, my mom has taught four-year-old pre-K Sunday school for probably since I was in pre-K mm-hmm. <laughs> and just continues to do it, you know, week after week, month after month. So That's cool. Kennedy, any Kenny stories that come to, come to mind for you? Any I I was actually going to say, if anyone's listening that has not been to Carnegie, you need to go. <laughs> That's um, right, yeah. I think it was like my first week on the job here, and my dad was like, hey, I'm going to go to Carnegie this Wednesday. I'm going like, to listen Whoa. to Kenny. And he's like, I think you should go with me. And so I said, okay. So we made the trek down to Carnegie, and um, – it was so cool to see Kenny and his element and to see how much his church loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, every single person that came up to us, you know, we're like, oh, you're from Kenny's old church. We love him. We love to hear him preach. And they just love him. They really love Amy, too. <laughs> yes, I mean, they yeah. love Amy. And so <laughs> that was, that. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was just so cool to see him and his element and to see, like, their youth group. Um, he's got an incredible student ministry at Carnegie and an incredible student pastor. And so that was really cool. So if you haven't been to Carnegie, you need to go see the amazing city of Carnegie. <laughs> That's, that has never been stated by the Oklahoma yeah. Department of Tourism. I will yeah. say we pulled up to a gas station and uh, someone pulled up on a lawnmower and I was like, wow, <laughs> we don't see this on our yeah. side. And it's so fun. <laughs> it's awesome. great. But, you know, it's, uh, you, we do feel very loved there. And uh, and the and the one it, it's everything you've ever heard about rural people, especially in Western Oklahoma, it's all true. Um, our experiences just bore that out. But the other thing that I have found about them that um, is is neat, um, they know that they're not at the crossroads of I forty four and I thirty five. They know they're in a remote area. They know they're in a community that is only going to get smaller. And um, I think the fact that we were willing to commit to them, they really honor that. And and I didn't see it as committing to them. I really just felt like we were just following the Lord's call, that that's where he wanted us. That, it, that was crystal clear to us. But their response is um, very realistic of, of what 
what their town is, especially if you compare it with a larger metropolitan area. And I would never apologize for Carnegie because for all the things we don't have, we have other things uh, three or four times better than a city might have it. Um, but they really have shown a real appreciation for our willingness to, to come to Carnegie. Yeah. And uh, they say that all the time. And what they don't realize is that we're blessed far more than they are. But it's really been a neat marriage because of that's that. that's really cool. So, well, you guys had uh, Jimmy Houston out to share, you yeah. know, recently, and you said he he shared did a good job sharing his testimony, but he didn't share you know as many <laughs> no. fishing stories you were always so. So we've had you on the podcast, and we haven't asked for any sports stories yet. So we're down to like two or three minutes left to go here. Mount Rushmore of sporting events you've been uh, a part of. So oh, wow. probably you know number one is Andrews Carnegie basketball yes. games so that, that, that goes on the Mount Rushmore <laughs> for sure is uh and there's going to be some good Carnegie High School basketball ahead for you guys right. with, with him growing up so what else when you think of like sporting events you've been a part of that mm-hmm. are just like the at the very top what comes to mind well I, I would probably I'll start from the bottom and go up <laughs> uh, uh, probably the uh the Orange Bowl would be one because if you grew up in, in Kansas where I did or Oklahoma that is uh, so much. Oh, a, yeah. A, that's such a big game. Absolutely. And so yeah. that it was really cool the first time I went there. Uh, then I would say probably uh, the Final Four. Uh, I've been to three Final Fours, and uh, I don't know that I would pick one over the other, but that's just always kind of a – Playing in football stadiums, those, those right, Final Fours. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a – and actually I was at – I hate to admit this because it was so long ago. <laughs> I was at the Kansas-Oklahoma game at Kemper Arena, Whoa. which I think was the last one played – in a actual basketball arena. Fascinating. Don't yeah. do the math on how many yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 88. Um, yeah. Uh, second would be the Rose Bowl. Um, I remember uh, we played out there and we beat Washington State. It was the first time Oklahoma had ever played in the Rose Bowl. And to understand that, you'd have to actually go to the Rose Bowl. It's a setting unlike mm-hmm. any other. And uh, I remember when the game was over, we beat Washington State handily. And I, I actually – the stadium was empty and we'd finished the interviews. We were getting ready to load the buses and go back to the hotel. And I walked out to the 50 yard line and called my parents. Oh, and wow. I rarely did that. Cause I, you just, you get used to going to big events, but I just said, I just want you guys to know that I'm standing mm. this kid from Winfield, Kansas <laughs> on the 50 yard line of the Rose. Bowl. Yeah. That's cool. uh, so that was one. And then I think the one that usually surprises people, but it's just the historic nature of it. Being in the Heisman room when the, name is announced yeah. and it's your guy yeah yeah that's a really cool feeling i love it and man. uh there's a um the audience is a little bigger now but when they started that audience was always kept intentionally very small and we so, talking like a hundred people yeah like, it yeah. would be like that level yeah and it's not a whole lot more than that now they don't give each player more than like 10 or 15 tickets so huh. it's it's not yeah. a lot and so you're actually in this room and what people don't realize is and what i didn't realize either was that um, the camera goes and gets on the winner during the commercial break right before the announcement is made uh, to the nation. And uh, so uh, we won it a couple times while I was at OU, and I, re- I learned to look for that cameraman to see if we were going <laughs> to win or not. But that's just that's a, yeah. that's a, such a historic award, and it's in New York City, which makes it even heightens it a little bit more. And so that pro- those, that would probably be no. I love I love that. So well, hopefully we add to that one day Carnegie playing in the state basketball tournament. And that can go right to the that top. That would them so, all. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, we have uh, we have a Wednesday night meal to make it to soon because there's a Absolutely. lot of people that, that will want to uh, to see you and your family. So Kennedy, would you uh, would you pray for us as yeah. we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. 
Lord, we thank you so much just for your goodness and how that's been so evident um, in Kenny's story and Kenny's life, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the call that you've placed on his life to um, one, shepherd his people, but also to continue just to teach your word, Lord. Um, We're just so thankful for how you use Kenny and also how you use his family and um, just your providence and how you've called them to Carnegie, Lord. We know that um, their story is only a reflection of you in your work, Lord. And so um, I just pray that as they continue in ministry, that you would just continue to guide them, be with them, and also how we as um, their church too can continue to support them and encourage them in their ministry. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, Maya. See you soon.